What is good, everybody? Welcome to another SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, alongside, also from Niners Nation, Kyle Posey, and from Acme Packing Company, Justice Mosqueda. Gentlemen, happy Wednesday. Woo, we won was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> Can you believe it's already week two? Sorry, I feel like you have <laughs> to say that once the season begins. We're so close to, if the season ended today, oh, God, yeah. Los Angeles Rams would finish with the first overall pick. Yeah, oh, I guess not because they don't own it, right? That's true. <laughs> well, I hope we can wait a few more weeks before we get to that. We also have Steven Serto of Arrowhead Pride behind the glass. We have a huge show today. Trey Wingo of the Half Forgotten History podcast and a million other things is going to stop by. We're going to break down Chargers and Chiefs tomorrow night, and we'll do our five-question week two gauntlet as well. But before we get to all of that, I want to remind you, we are brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, we always want to remind you, rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. If you leave a review, I promise we will read it on the show. Without further ado, let's get to our interview of the week. That is Mr. Trey Wingo. Stats, what's up, buddy? How we doing? Doing great. I, I don't know how you have time to do this interview. You are everywhere. <laughs> 33rd team, half-forgotten podcast. Chief Trends Officer for Caesars, Pro Football Network, Spotify Live. Did I leave anything out? Yeah, there's a couple, but that's okay. We'll, we'll figure that out as well. Look, I'm I'm happy. I'm uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff that I love, and I love doing the stuff that I do with the people I do, like talking to you. So it's all good, brother. Who knew? There's life after Bristol after all. There's a ton of life after <laughs> Bristol. Let's not pretend like that's not true. We both are shining examples of that. All right. Let's get into what we saw in week one. And I want to start with the Monday night game since that's the last thing we saw. Yeah. The obvious question, the Broncos time management at the end is terrible. My question to you is why didn't Russell Wilson just call timeout? Well, it's really interesting. Uh, Richard Sherman's podcast sort of addressed that uh, today. And I thought it was fascinating because obviously Richard knows Russell pretty well. They've had some beefs over the years. I mean, mm -hmm. like that has now always been a, a relationship that's been smooth sailing. And he basically said, look, there are certain quarterbacks in the NFL that can do that. Like Drew Brees would have called a timeout. Tom Brady would have called a timeout. Patrick Mahomes would have called a timeout. Peyton Manning would have called a timeout. But Russell Wilson was waiting for the coach to tell him to call a timeout. Um, and I'm sure there's some of that goes back to the beef we were talking about between the two of them. But it really like you had all three timeouts and you had 55 seconds, even if you were going to go for the 64 yard field goal for the win, which would have been the second longest field goal in the history of the NFL. Let's do this and talk about it. Like, is that this? Let's let's get everybody in the same page because you could tell nobody knew what the hell they were doing. And I'll give Nathaniel Hackett credit in this regard after the game he said absolutely was the right decision which by the way saying that is worse than the actual decision <laughs> but but later today he came out and said yeah that probably wasn't the right move i mean just get everybody settled like if you were listening to the manning cast last night you could hear eli payton and shannon sharp call timeout call timeout <laughs> call timeout i mean it was the easiest thing in the world everybody was discombobulated let's just Let's just take a breath, figure out what we want to do, and you still have two more timeouts if you want to go for it. Russ took the high road after the game. 
ah, you know, I don't have a problem with it, blah, blah, blah. Do you think part of Nathaniel Hackett's 180 was the fact that Russ talked to him and said, why the hell aren't you putting the ball in my hands? What did you trade for me for? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question. That that would make sense. But like that whole game, Russ was a little <laughs> discombobulated, right? Like that was his first time experiencing it on the other side of what the 12th man can do. Like he'd always had those guys on his side in those situations. And now he had to deal with what that 12th man can do. And it, it messed them up the entire game. There were delay of game penalties. Uh, you know, forget the end of the game. Like, let's just throw out as bad as that was. Let's just throw that completely out of the conversation. They couldn't score from fourth and inside the one yard line twice. And what the hell are you doing lining up in shotgun? If it's fourth and goal from the one, you're basically retreating after taking the high ground in the battle. None of that made any sense. Like, why are you even handing it off? How about you have Russell Wilson and just jump over the freaking pile one time? Take things out of the equation. The Denver Broncos goal-to-go situation last night was as bad as I can ever remember. As, as much as we want to talk about the end of the game, they lost it because they couldn't figure out how to get inside the end zone from inside the one-yard line, not once, but twice. Well, that's why I feel like the Seahawks, you know, they're they're strutting around like they did this great thing. It's like, yeah, you won the game, but at the same time, Denver did yeah. fumble twice on the goal line. So I don't know how much credit to give them. That's a fair point. And Geno played great in the first half, 17 of 18, 164 yards and two touchdowns. In the second half, he was 6 of 10 for 31 yards. <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, I mean, like, I get it. The, the post-game on the field interview, they're just, if you get the star of the game or whatever, they're basically trying to put them in a good light. You know, and Lisa Salter's basically like, what do you have to say to all the, the people that wrote you off? Dude, you wrote yourself off in the second <laughs> half. Okay, like, you were great in the first half. Don't get me wrong. You were phenomenal. But when you needed to repeat it, you were, like, at best average. And he's like, well, they wrote me off and I didn't ride back. Great soundbite, but it has nothing to do with how the game played out. I mean, like, you were terrible in the second half. You were you were just there in the second half when you could have put the game away. What is the weirder coaching decision? What the Broncos did or Lovey Smith punting with seconds to go in overtime in a tie score? Uh, I actually, I'm way out on the limb here. Oh, I no. don't have a problem with it. And here, here's, here's why I'll tell you. Because let's say they go for it. They were right around midfield with what, like 17 seconds left? Yeah, I think right? so. Rodrigo Blankenship, even though he missed an overtime kick, that would have won the game is still a really good kicker. So basically all you need is Matt Ryan to hit one pass, get out of bounds, one first down, and suddenly you potentially losing the game for as bad as the Texans have been. And they've been awful. I have, I, I don't have a problem with lovey doing what he did because I think that the, the team that he has, like it's better to walk out of there with a tie than it is to suffer a heartbreaking loss. Cause it was, I think it was like fourth and 16 or something like that. Like it wasn't like fourth and three, it was fourth and a really long, I think they were on their side of midfield. And if you don't get it, then you allow the opportunity for the other team to walk out and steal the game. So I don't, I don't have as much of a problem with that one as a lot of other people do. Everything you said is logical and well thought out and well-reasoned. But part of me is like, you're the Texans. You're not going anywhere anyway. If you lose, it helps your draft stock. It was four. But you can't think about that. There's, there's no coach or player in week one of the season that is thinking, 
Jesus, if we fuck this up, then we can get a better draft pick. Like that doesn't <laughs> exist. That exists in your mind and my mind and fans' minds. That is not a thought press process for any player, coach, GM, or executive on a team, especially in week one. So it was fourth and three from the 49 and 20 yeah. seconds left. Yeah. And the Colts did have a timeout remaining. That's all I'm saying. Like you opened yourself up to a heartbreaking loss. I, they're in first place. They're tied <laughs> with the Colts in first place, right? The, the Texans should take a picture because they're not going to be in first place in a couple of weeks, right? This is this is their crowning achievement. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a problem with it because I think Lovey knows the team is probably not that good. The entire AFC South is winless and two of them played each other. That sums up that division perfectly. Correct. Chargers and Chiefs tomorrow night. Is the best quarterback in the AFC playing in that game? I believe the best quarterback in football is playing in that game. Um, listen, I will die on this hill. And uh, I, I wrote something about this for, for my thing I do for Facebook today, treywingo.bulletin.com. Check it out. Patrick Mahomes heard you. He heard everybody this offseason. <laughs> oh, jo you know, Joey Burrow, he's the next best thing. Justin Herbert, Josh Allen is destined to be the MVP. Lamar Jackson, they should give him $250 million. You know, Bart Scott saying the Chiefs aren't going to make the playoffs. That anonymous NFL defensive coordinator telling Mike Sando from The Athletic that when Patrick Mahomes breaks down, he has one read and then he plays street ball. And he's like, okay, that's the way you want to be? Fine. 30 of 39, 360 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Why is that significant? He's only the fourth player, a uh, fourth quarterback in NFL history to have a week one performance where he threw for over 300 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. The other previous three all went on to win the MVP that year. Let's take it a step further. That's five straight season opening wins for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They've actually won eight straight, longest active streak in the NFL. They've scored at least 30 in seven straight week one wins. That is the longest streak in NFL history. Patrick Mahomes becomes the first quarterback ever in the NFL to throw for at least three touchdown passes in five straight season opening wins. Wait, back up, check that. He was also the only quarterback to ever do it in four straight season opening wins. This is Patrick Mahomes about to go scorched earth on the rest of the NFL. Look, you can, you can love another quarterback. Joe Burrow is great. Fluke of a game, four interceptions. What makes him an assassin, even after he turned it over five times, he gave the team not one but two chances to win late because he has the mind of a killer. Like, literally, he has the mind of a killer. I can show you a sociology report that I read before the draft that proves that. Uh, <laughs> Josh Allen is amazing. Three touchdown passes, big, strong guy, all that kind of stuff. Love him. Absolutely love him. Everyone loves Justin Herbert. Absolutely. But not one of those guys has this on his resume. 50 touchdown passes in a season, regular season MVP, a Super Bowl win, a Super Bowl MVP, talk, took his team to back-to-back -back Super Bowls, and has hosted the AFC Championship four straight games. He's the best playing right now. It's not a debate. It's not an opinion. You can have other opinions if you want. You would be wrong. And Patrick <laughs> Mahomes is out here to smoke all of you this year. And he beat the good Cardinals. This is not the December Cardinals. This is when they're supposed to be good. Well, not only that, Stats, but like I heard some people say, oh, you know, I love watching people bend themselves into a pretzel trying to come up with ways that Patrick Mahomes is bad. <laughs> and, you know, I heard a lot of, well, the Cardinals defense isn't any good. Actually, that's incorrect. Their secondary is really good. And Vance Joseph blitzed him 44% of the time and Patrick went 
and cut them up. <laughs> but if you want to do that and say, okay, you don't like Arizona's defense, that's fine. Well, let's go back to the last game they won, the divisional round game against the Bills, one of the greatest games in the history of the NFL. It's going to go down in that. In that game, Patrick Mahomes threw 378 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and also ran in a touchdown. <laughs> against the Bills defense last year, the wait for it, was number one in total defense, number one in scoring defense, number one in passing defense, and number one on third down percentage. What else you got? Like, are, just it's it becomes so vogue to put Patrick Mahomes out because, ooh, Justin Herbert looks good. And he's a good quarterback. And Josh Allen looks good. He could be the MVP. But don't pretend like this guy isn't the guy he's always been since he took the starting job in 2018. Why do we do that? Do we just get tired of people? That's exactly right. We're bored with excellence. It's the same way that we get angry with the Patriots for winning all the time. It's the only reason Michael Jordan didn't win the freaking MVP every year played in the NBA. Charles Barkley said it once, I think in 93 or 94, when he won the MVP, thank you for Michael for not being as good as you normally are allowing me <laughs> to win. Like that's the way it is. This dude, Mahomes now has more four touch, five touchdown pass games than any other player in NFL history through their first 64 games passing Dan Marino. He has 14, four touchdown games now, tying him with Dan Marino for the most over his first 64 starts. No other quarterback has more than seven. So look, you can say whatever you want, and I get it, but I got the freaking receipts when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. Did you just go Robert Sala on me? I got the receipts. We're all taking receipts on all the people who continually mock and, and say that we ain't going to do anything. I'm taking receipts, and I'm going to be more than happy to share them with all of y'all when it's all said and done. Listen, Robert Sala needs new receipts if he's holding receipts, okay? Because they need to win. They just lost 13 straight games in September, tying the Rams from 2007 to 2010 for the longest losing streak in the history of the NFL in the month of September. Robert Sala doesn't need receipts. He needs better receipts. <laughs> Last question for me, because there's a lot of, you know, week one overreactions and things. The Giants are riding high. The They're Vikings not. looked fantastic. They're good. Okay, is that the week one kind of storyline that's emerged that you actually buy into? Listen, the Vikings are going to be a very good football team. Uh, I, I have no problem with that. And people look at Green Bay and say, well, last year Green Bay lost week one and they went on to be the number one seed in the a NFC, even though they flamed out in the game against San Francisco, which I'm sure you had no problem with. Yeah. But it's different this year. Like, there's, there wasn't a receiver on the field outside of Randall Cobb yesterday or Sunday that Aaron Rodgers had ever played an NFL game with before. Okay, they were, it was a brand new cast. They're going to be fine, but it's going to take time. Like, you know, last year they lost week one and ripped off a bunch of wins and, and everything was good. They're going to struggle down out of, the, out of the gate here because of that factor. So I can't look at Green Bay and say, well, they lost last year week one and everything's going to be fine. There's going to be a learning curve. Like you look at the, number, the, the receivers that they sort of put out there after losing Devontae Adams. And look at what the Chance City Chiefs did when they lost Tyreek Hill, Juju Smith-Schuster. Let's bring in Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who, by the way, I think is the most underappreciated pickup of the entire offseason. He has four touchdown passes over the last two years of receptions of at least 50 yards. Only Jamar Chase has more. He had five last year in his remarkable rookie season. The Chiefs built a team around Patrick Mahomes to keep him as high as he can be. The Packers haven't done that. They're going to struggle a little bit out of the stretch. So you can overreact to some things, but the Packers are going to have troubles until about mid-October, in my opinion. And you're convinced that this Vikings thing is real? They're really good. Like, they're really good. Uh, top to bottom, uh, in terms of team construct, construct, 
Yeah, they're a really good football team. If you want more Trey Wingo, you don't have to look very hard. He is everywhere. Half Forgotten History, Spotify Live, the 33rd team. Caesars, your work there as well. Trey, I can't thank you enough. Oh, Pro Football Network as well. Thanks for some of your time today. You got it, Sats. Be good, buddy. Thanks again to Trey Wingo for the time. All right, let's take a quick break, pay some bills, and when we come back, we'll dive into Chiefs Chargers and run the gauntlet featuring the five biggest narratives of the week. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back here on the SB Nation NFL show, and I want to start our look at Thursday Night Football by asking about one specific thing that Trey said during the interview. Justice, I'll start with you. Do you believe that Patrick Mahomes is on sort of this revenge tour, this mission to remind everybody, like, hey, I am the best quarterback in the league? I feel like he's already proved it, so I don't I don't know how much revenge motivates the guy, but... It certainly looked like a little bit of a different offense, right? I don't know if you guys came away thinking the same thing, but when I watched the Kansas City game, I watched it, you know, spe- the the little cut up that they got on NFL Plus and stuff like that because I was watching other games on Sunday. But I mean, he was operating all the quick game stuff, and if that's who he's going to be, and they have that structured offense that we talked about all last season, right? We always talked about how Kansas City they look at that scripted offense, they're doing quick game, they're doing RPOs, they're doing stuff like that, and they're looking great, and then, you know, two, three drives into the game, they just turn into hero ball. If he could stay away from the hero ball stuff, but he still has the talent to be able to pull that out on any given broken play, they're going to be a problem, certainly. I love what I saw, honestly. I mean, what we saw was, you know, the continued explosive play, sure, but it just seemed like, I think, people were overreacting that, hey, Tyreek Hill's gone and forgetting that Mahomes is still Mahomes. And forgetting is probably not the right word, but he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. Like, why do we have to wait and act like that's not true? It's always been the case um, in the first couple of years since he's been here. And uh, they took advantage of an Arizona team that's not going to be great defensively, it would appear. But still, um, the way that they looked on offense – uh, whether it was getting the ball to Fortson, who shout out Steve, who called, he had a touchdown early on. Um, I, I like that there's balance, though. And I, I even think they turned the ball over a little bit. And to Ju- I know Juju had that one turnover, but still, uh, Juju is going to be a factor. And I, we talked about this before where teams were kind of keying on Tyreek and you knew that that was going to be the case. Now that there's no Tyreek, 
they can go right. They can go left. You know, if there's a guy in the number as a number three wide receiver, uh, the safety, the linebacker, like all those guys are not going to have their undivided attention on him, which is only going to open up things for everybody else in the offense. So uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, two of the best at what they do. Unsurprising that they were able to put up 30 plus points. And uh, that's going to be the case more often than not. It was a little weird that people were like, oh, without Tyree Kill, I don't know what they're going to do. Like, did we not see Andy Reid in Philadelphia where he had no wide receivers for almost his entire tenure there? And they were still one of the right. best offensive teams. This just in, the guy knows what he's doing. Now, oh, up against the Chargers, this is going to be like just such a phenomenal game. And there's just one thing I have to say right now. If the Chargers win this game, it doesn't make up for blowing a lead with 13 seconds left in the playoffs. Like it's not a revenge <laughs> game. It's not, that's not a thing. This, this is week two. We're talking about here. That said justice. I do think this is a massive game for the division and a massive game for seating in the AFC. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the premier matchups of the entire league. You look at the AFC. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but to me, Chargers, chiefs bills, that's who it is in terms of like the top tier contenders. If you knock one of them off, you, you get one of their spots, but that's not going to happen until the playoffs. Right. So, I mean, this is, this could be the difference between, I mean, a game or a, even a tiebreaker could be the difference between the one seed and the five seed here. So this is going to be really important considering, you know, we talked about how tough the AFC West is. Um, Denver didn't have a great showing this past week. And then obviously, you know, the Raiders lost a head to head with the Chargers. So now that puts them kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. Seems like this race is coming down to AFC. I mean, it's only week two, but there's an early lead at the very least. Yeah, will J.C. Jackson play is going to be a big question. I don't know who's limited in practice. And will Trey Smith, the right guard for the Chiefs, be able to play? So uh, we saw – I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but, again, people – because he didn't play last year, I feel like people forgot who Khalil Mack was. Uh, still a good football player. That was the case last year. Proved that very early on for the Chargers. So uh, there's going to be some very good matchups in this one, man. But I, I do want to see uh, if J.C. Jackson is able to play. Because if he is, I think we're going to see even a different version of Brandon Saley and what he can do defensively. But either way, man, I, I do agree that these are uh, – I don't want to say the best. I, I would still put the Bills over the Chargers. And I yeah. still think the Chiefs are going to be better than the Chargers, too. I, I think the Chiefs win this game. Um but I do want to see how the Chargers adjust and if the Charger, how the Chargers, how the Chargers play if they are behind, as opposed to last week when it seemed like they had the lead for the majority of the game. Do we They're, think the three AFC teams are better than any team in the NFC right now? Because that's one takeaway that I had. I think all the NFC teams, the offensive lines in the NFC. Oh my goodness! Yeah, down Tampa's line. getting yeah. destroyed. Dallas is getting destroyed. Green Bay's got three backups out there right now. The Rams I mean, got destroyed. Yeah. Rams got destroyed, and the quarterbacks hurt. Dallas's quarterback is hurt too. Shocking! These these backup or these quarterbacks are getting banged up behind a banged up offensive line. It's it's nasty out there. I mean, outside of Philadelphia, I can't really point to. I mean, Detroit maybe, but like even they they just They're lost Vita. Yeah, they just lost Vitae, and they have Jerry Goff at quarterback. So who knows what that's going to be? Um, yeah, just a weird situation in the NFC where I feel like things are. A lot more open, especially down the stretch. I mean, Tom Brady's behind a backup offensive line right now. That's crazy. Yeah, you hate to see it. Um, Keenan <laughs> Allen, what's the uh, what's the status of Keenan Allen? How big of a difference does he make, Kyle, if he can't play for the Chargers? Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's going to play. That's huge, right? Is that I don't want to call him like 
uh, Justin Herbert's security blanket, but more or less, that's what he is. So that's going to put more pressure on Mike Williams, who was kind of AWOL last week. But Justin Herbert was making DeAndre Carter look like an all-pro. So <laughs> I, I, what can you say about Herbert? Uh, he continues to get better. Uh, they, they, sure, they address the position, the wide receiver position, but I don't know that they have to. So I do want to see, again, how the Chargers line holds up and if they are able to keep pace with the Chiefs without a threat like Keenan Allen, because all the Chiefs are, you would imagine, Spags is going to just come at Herbert and try to put more pressure on the offensive line to block, knowing that there's not that threat with Keenan Allen on the outside. Yeah, I think when the Chargers are on the field, I'm trying to look at wide receivers that are not Mike Williams just catching, you know, possession type of catches down the field and then whoever it is playing right tackle, right? Because that, that's going to be a problem for them all season. So those are the two big things I'd highlight. That's funny that you were saying DeAndre Carter. I saw people legitimately debating the merits of DeAndre Carter versus Josh Palmer during the game last week. I was like, what are we doing? Can't be doing this. How are we so fantasy-pilled? That, that's, yeah. that's where we go to immediately. You guys are way more well-versed in this than I am, so I defer to you. But I feel like the Chiefs are – a combination of an incredible scheme from Andy Reid and the fact that Patrick Mahomes can make any throw, crazy throws, plays outside of structure, all of that stuff. Not to say that the Chargers have a bad scheme, but I feel like most of their success comes from just mutant throws from Justin Herbert. Is that fair or am I off base on that? I agree. I mean, I think it's pretty classic staples um, that they're running. Like, I'm not sure how different it is than like a North Turner type of offense other than the fact that they're feeding Austin Eckler the ball in, you know, the passing game and stuff. So I think it's a pretty traditional offense. You're certainly not seeing a lot of schemed up things. Like you're not seeing the goal line stuff that Andy Reid is doing for the Chargers, right? You're not seeing underhanded passes off of like <laughs> fake shovel looks and stuff. So yeah, I no, I, I agree there. Yeah, I agree too. It's, it's a lot of, Hey, we're going to roll the ball out. We know we have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and he's going to get us into the right situation. So I can call whatever as a play caller and trust that we're going to do well, or he's going to keep us ahead of the chains. Can't talk about the chiefs without bringing in our guy, Steven Serta from Arrowhead pride. I got to know, Steven, we're breaking this game down. You know more about the chiefs than we do. Is anything we're saying jumping out to you as crazy? Is there anything we should, haven't mentioned that we should mention no i think you guys are spot on um i'm glad kp mentioned my guy jody fortson uh 160 on that jody fortson anytime touchdown last week hello. thank you very much did you just come in to uh, flex about your back hello uh but no i think you guys are pretty spot on in the analysis i'd be shocked if jc jackson plays this week but i do want to see him get out there because we saw Devontae Adams kind of carve up this secondary last week, but nobody else really did anything, and he's Devontae Adams. So I think they still have playmakers back there, but I think J.C. Jackson can lift their defense to another level with that pass rush. And it's going to be interesting if Trey Smith doesn't play because the Cardinals, while Patrick Mahomes did carve them up last week, they were actually putting quite a bit of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Like He was taking a lot of hits in that game, and this offensive line is supposed to be one of the cornerstones of the offense. So I'm a little bit worried uh, about Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, but I think you guys are pretty spot on in everything here. It is a little weird that Khalil Mack is as good as he is, and he's been traded twice in his career. That just doesn't really seem to match up. <laughs> I don't want to oversimplify this, but I'm going to do exactly that. Is this game going to come down to the like three or four fourth downs that Brandon Staley decides to go for justice? It really might. I mean, 
he's out there gambling pretty consistently. And there's is it public opinion on uh Brandon Staley's side at this point or not? It's hard for me to tell because he came in, it seemed like everyone liked him. Then he lost some ball games. Then it seemed like there was a massive backlash against him. I, I, it's hard for me to tell what the temperature is here. So I think that's a good point because think about it. Like they did not have much success on late downs last week. So third and fourth down, they were negative in EPA per play. Um, again, they're putting a lot on Herbert's plate and they're asking him to bail them out. I think Spags is going to be so over aggressive, and that's just naturally who he is. Yeah. that he like walks Staley. off the bus over aggressive. <laughs> yeah, like he's ready to he's ready to send six once he gets off the bus. So that's a good point. But still, um, I don't know if I'm as pro Staley as everybody else. I, I think I just want to see more. Um, I understand that he does have a very good quarterback, and now that he does have the players, other I, I don't want to say he's going to run out of excuses because it's still very early in his tenure. But um, J.C. Jackson is going to be a big part of their defense when once he does get back. So again, there there are still a lot of questions and you know, whole let's wait and see when it comes to the Chargers defense. That is a good question, Justice. I I feel like public opinion is on Brandon Staley's side when he gets it, and then they're against him when he doesn't, right? When he doesn't get it, it's analytics, screw analytics, they're so stupid, they're trying to run the game off a spreadsheet. And then when he gets it, people are like, Oh, wait a credit Brandon Staley for going with his instinct on this one. So I feel like they like it when it works, but when it doesn't work, he's an idiot. It's it's very weird that we build up guys and then just tear them down immediately. It's like, I don't know. Staley's kind of been the same guy the entire time. I mean, Sounds they like, the like it. <laughs> His players like it. I know that. It's funny. You know, I feel like with these coaches who are aggressive, we talked, John Harbaugh's talked about it. Lamar Jackson's talked about it with the Ravens. All these coaches that are aggressive and like to go for it on fourth down. I always hear the players. They're all like, yeah, we like it. We don't care if we don't get them. Like we like the general philosophy I feel like it's fans like us and media like us who generally take issue with it and just yell and scream afterwards about why they didn't punt the ball or kick a field goal. No, it's mentality. Uh, you show if you go for it on fourth down, you're telling your team that you believe in them. More often than not, if you don't get it, let's say it's fourth and two on the plus 30 yard line. If you don't get it, your defense has a lot. They still the opposing offense still has a long field to go. So I don't understand. I mean, I know, you know, talking about leaving points on the board and we, we never talk about the situation the opponent, the game flow, like when we're talking about whether we're going for it on fourth down or not. So like those play a giant, giant factor in, you know, determining when to go for it on fourth down. So Staley, in his case, he probably believes in himself being the play caller, you know, being the (laughs) defensive mind that he is. That's why he's looking to go for it. So also he has Justin freaking Herbert. Why wouldn't you go for it? You're going to trust number 10 to get two, three, four yards. So um, it it makes a lot of sense if, if that's his thought process. All right, let's get to our gauntlet. Five questions enter. Only one question leaves. I have taken it upon myself to come up with the theme and the questions for this week. We will pit those against each other until only one remains. Today's theme, boys, week one narratives that will continue after this week. There are certain things that people are talking about after the first week of games. Which things will continue on after this week's slate of games? First one, the Saints are a real threat with Jameis Winston. And Justice, I'll start with you. Or Geno Smith is a viable option for the Seattle Seahawks this year. Ooh, I think I'm going to go with Jameis here just because he looked good last season before the injury too. And I think, you know, having all those wide receivers on turf, um, 
is going to help them a lot. Like the fact that Chris Olave and Michael Thomas are out there running routes is going to help him. Gino, though, I wouldn't be surprised if Gino wasn't bad, I guess is the way to put it. I mean, this is just kind of the guy that he has been since West Virginia. He's unconscious in the pocket. He's going to make some plays where you're like, wow, he threw that ball with five bodies around him and just like darted it down the field. And then he's going to get his head taken off on a couple sacks when when guys are losing battles on the edge late and late on plays. So I kind of lightly believe in in Gino a little bit too. Like I don't think he's going to be one of the five worst quarterbacks starting in the NFL this year. Um, but I believe in Jameis, you know, being able to throw to those guys on turf a lot. There's a good chance I'm going to pick Jameis every time in these gauntlet questions. So think about what we saw from the Saints offense. They had a ton of protection issues. They had some free run-throughs. We talked about this last week where, let's just say, the left interior line was going to be an issue. And sure enough, Grady Jarrett kicked his butt. They had uh, The Falcons blitzed a couple times right over the left guard, and they were able to get some sacks. Still, I felt like as the game progressed – um, they start, the Saints started to realize we can win on the outside with isolation routes. And then come the fourth quarter, James just blacked out. Uh, he was hitting guys, whether it was these deep out routes, whether it was a post, uh, there was some back shoulder fades. He was hitting dudes in the face mask. And sure, Jarvis Landry made some tough catches. Uh, Mike Thomas made some great catches. A lot of these passes are because James is putting the ball only where they can make the play. So if that's how they're going to play, and it seemed like to me, well, uh, Chris Olave had a couple nice comeback routes if they can have these guys win on the outside one-on-one and we know James is going to put the, uh, give them a chance. He's going to throw contested passes and, you know, just throw into tight windows. To me, it signals that the offense is going to be just fine. Um, I imagine, I don't think these offensive line issues are going anywhere though. At the same time, the Falcons aren't known for a team with pass rushers, obviously Gary Jarrett's a good player, but that, that would worry me just a bit, you know, seeing as much pressure as they did give up in week one, but still, um, I thought the wide receivers played very well. I thought Jameis gave them a chance. And it seems like the way that they won in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter is far more transferable and sustainable um, than what we saw with Geno Smith, for example. Um, I, I thought that his his pocket presence early was good, but when Bradley Chubb started to win, when he started to feel any the lick of pressure, uh, that's when we started Geno to be Geno and be a statue in the, in the, in the pocket. So um, I'm going Jameis here. All right, famous Jameis moves on. Week one narratives that will continue after this week. Jameis being a threat with the Saints or the Packers wide receiver core, KP, being a real problem. How many how many minutes do you think Aaron Rodgers spent on the sideline yelling at his teammates uh, in week one? <laughs> the, every time the camera would pan to him, he's like, he's pointing here, he's pointing here. He, he's mad. He's always mad, man. Um, poor Christian Watson. He... Uh, <laughs> Wide open, running, first target, uh, Packers. That That's probably a different ball game. Or, well, it's obviously a different ball game if he catches that. He scores a tight game. Uh, doesn't. And it seemed like the offense never got on track after that. So, th- I mean, is this really a surprise that they were going to have issues? Christian Watson was probably overdrafted. We, we felt like that early on. And um, I do want to give the Vikings some credit at the same time. But I, I don't know, man. Uh, that Devontae Adams guy, he's good. We saw that in week one. That was always going to be the case. Uh, it's going to be on the Packers coaching staff to adjust. Um, they, what they did last year, and Justice can speak to this, they ran a lot of their offense through Devontae Adams, whether it was um, quick extended running games by throwing in screen passes, running quick slants, uh, anything and everything. Any route combination was probably involved with Devontae Adams, and 
to expect them to come out week one and just be ready to roll with the receiving core that they have with all the new bodies that they have probably wasn't realistic. So um, I, I do imagine this is going to keep up as the season goes along. I'll defer to you on this one because I feel like I'm, I'm Packers pilled. But um, Al Lazard is practicing today, which is a nice sign because he didn't practice at all last week, wasn't able to play in the game. He's expected to be their number one wide receiver. And then if you actually watch the All-22, I want you to watch this. Go for it. Can you just repeat that Alan Lazard sentence? Alan Lazard's supposed to be the wide receiver one. It's true. I'm not saying you're wrong. Pounds, or he lost ten pounds. That's (laughs) zero. I don't know why I've said that's a problem. Would you agree that that is a problem? Yes. You know what else is a problem? The fact that Christian Watson could have gone for like 180 yards in the game. If you watch the all 22, he is open and Rodgers is not looking at him. And I'm not surprised. Why is that? Because he was mad at him. Yeah. Yeah. LaFleur is just like, we are running the ball. There is no way we're leaving games with this many carries with those running backs anymore. So I'm just going to assume Sunday night football, they're going to pound the damn rock. And hopefully Rodgers learns to trust Christian Watson when he's running wide open, you know, digs down the field. The good news is the Bears gave up a lot of – or not a lot of explosive plays, but the 49ers wide receivers, they had some success. And I imagine what we see – from the Packers on Sunday night will be night and day from what we saw last week. Like they're going to be able to have success both through the air and on the ground. They're still 10 point favorites, even though they lost that game in week Mm -hmm. one. So justice, are you taking Jameis or the Packers? What's your pick? I want to take Jameis, but I'm willing to defer. I guess we got to get Steven in here, right? No, you both agree on the Packers. I think it's he doesn't want to pick the Packers. I don't want to pick the Packers. All right. So then Steven, come on in. Then you break the tie. What do you think is the week one narrative that will continue after this week? It's 100% the Packers wide receiver. Oh, my goodness. Christian Watson could for 180 yards. We're getting Alan Lazard back. Are you kidding me? What if, I, what if, I get what if. it. And I do believe that Aaron Rodgers will figure it out. But I still don't like the idea of being like, we just got to get Alan Lazard back <laughs> in the lineup. <laughs> like, that's not we'll a good situation to be in. The tackles come back. Robert Tunyon doesn't have to chip block anymore. He's looking spry out there. New ACL added a, added a half second to his 40-yard time. Come on. All right. So there we go. Thank you, Stephen. The Packers wide receivers are going to be a problem. Or, Justice, we'll start with you this time. The Patriots offense with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge is a disaster. I'm going with the Pats offense is going to be a disaster. I felt like we knew this coming into the uh, – Coming into like training camp, as soon as they started saying <laughs> that those guys were calling plays, I just don't. I mean, why would they have success in terms of play calling, right? I don't think Mac Jones is that great of a quarterback. I, I don't think there's really a big difference between him and like Davis Mills. You look at speed on the field. The big thing that they were supposed to get is Tyquan Thornton. Tyquan Thornton's now hurt, not breaking well, and that offensive line has been a mess the entire camp, the entire preseason, and now we have visual representation of it in the regular season. Um, I don't think that Miami Dolphins team is really that good. So the fact that they ended up losing to them is not a great sign moving forward. I'm not sure that the Dolphins are just good in general. Um, It's pretty clear that the Patriots are going to be a disaster. So think about what they were trying to do on key downs whenever Mac Jones had to drop back. Is a fade to Devontae Parker in the red zone against Xavier Xavier Howard really what we want to do? There are a lot of like, underneath routes out routes and eventually 
the Dolphins just started figuring out the, the Patriots, if it's not going to be a slot bait or something down the field, it's going to be something quick and we can run under, underneath those. Um, when, it, when it got to third and seven, that's when you really start to see uh, the protection issues. Whenever the Dolphins just blitz one person, uh, the Patriots could not figure out what was going on. And after, again, like I said, after the first couple of drives, after they started running those little bench routes, little 10-yard out routes, because that's all that they could really do. There's not a ball winner on the outside. There's not speed to stretch the field. Miami really shut them down. So uh, on fourth and one, they threw a post against Xavier Howard. They were on the fourth and three. They were throwing uh, deep routes. They don't have anything. They don't trust uh, their wide receivers. And that's what I really saw. So I don't think they have a plan. I don't think they know what to do. I don't think they know their personnel well enough. And that was an issue. And that showed to be an issue time and time again. So um, Patriots are going to be in for a long season. They're, what they want to do with Mac Jones doesn't exactly match their personnel. So I, I think they're in for a, a, some serious trouble. Just as Justice said, we're going to get Alan Lazard back. There are a lot of Patriot fans saying, hey, Kendrick Bourne only played two snaps because apparently he was like late to a meeting or something. And I got to tell you, look, I, I like Kendrick Bourne. He was a former 49er. He did a lot of things that I enjoyed while he was here. But if that's what you're waiting on, you are going to be in for a long season. I think he caught one forty-one yard or something down the sideline toward the end of the game. So they they probably saw that and think that that's going to be sustainable. Bad news for you, Pat. That is not <laughs> sustainable. Shouts to the uh, Milwaukee Academy School of the Arts Mustangs wearing the hat right now. <laughs> Former coach, go Kendrick Bourne. There you go. Uh, okay, so Patriots offense being a disaster moves on. Week one narratives that will continue after this week: the Patriots offense or Kyle. Matt Stafford's arm is going to continue to affect the Rams offense. Yeah, this is tough. I don't think there's any wrong answer. The, the real answer to this question is yes. But the Rams, man, uh, we talked about it. All, we've been talking about it for a few episodes now that the Stafford thing is not going to go away anytime soon. Like Expecting his injury to get better the more he throws. It seemed like when he was walking off, I saw this clip circulating on the Internet that he was telling Sean McVay or mouthing Sean McVay, like, I can't throw. So why is that going to improve, especially if teams are going to be targeting that? At the same time, they have a lot more talent than the Pats. So it'd be easier to assume that Sean McVay will figure something out than Joe Judge will figure something out. Are you betting on Sean McVay or are you betting on Matt Patricia? I'm going to go with Sean McVay. Therefore, my answer is the Patriots. But still, um, the Rams are they're going to be a team to watch just to see how bad that injury actually gets. I think I'm going to go with Stafford here just because it's like inevitable, right? It, yeah. it just seems like there's no way that the arm is going to get better at this point. I mean, he was taking what he took three months off of just throwing completely in the off season. We were asking Normal. all summer, why isn't this a bigger story? And you know, the, the Rams are saying, you know, we're managing it, all that stuff. But like, I want to see it. I, I said, I want to see it in week one. I saw it in week one and it's not great. Yeah. That last play, what was it? like a slot fade to like Allen Robinson. And then yeah. he hits the sideline. They see these, you know, lip reading analysis people are like, yeah, he's saying he can't throw that. And it's like, dude, it's week one. He's got a full NFL season ahead of him. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to start every week, to be honest. Like who knows? So real quick, how much of that? And in my mind, the injury matters a lot more than we're talking about because all we saw Stafford do was look at cup all, all game. I feel like if he really trusted himself, if he really trusted his arm, he would be scanning the field like we saw. Like last year, 
he was a god against the blitz. He was able to shake off tacklers and go to his third and fourth progression. This last week, it was Stafford drop back, one, two, three, where's Coop? Where's Coop? Which was, which was not a bad plan, but there was nobody else involved, and that kind of signals to me that they're in trouble. Yeah, one of the things I think that makes Matthew Stafford as good as he is is his ability and willingness to stand in the pocket with guys around him, and because he has one of the best arms we've ever seen, just fire off rocket balls late in a play. If your arm is not 100%, you're not going to be able to do that. That's going to be a fundamental change to the way that you play. But this is tough. I mean, <laughs> the Patriots wide receivers and offense in general is not going to get any better. Steven, we need your services once again. Come in and break the tie for us. And this is like the, the ultimate winner of the gauntlet this week rests on your shoulders. So I totally agree that both of these things are huge red flags that I think are going to progress into the season. But I'm going to go with Matthew Stafford on this one because this is a defending Super Bowl champion. Nobody thought Mac Jones was going to come out and set the world <laughs> on fire with the Patriots this season. And all the reports about the Patricia Joe Judge co-offensive coordinator thing, like we knew this was going to be a disaster. And so I think expectations were already low for them. It's we were talking about the Rams preseason as like, you know, this is a team that's loaded with so much talent. They could they could come back and they could be a force. And we saw what happened to Ben Roethlisberger when he had the elbow issue and the way he just nosedived as a passer. And it's starting to feel that way about Matthew Stafford. I think if you're a Rams fan, you should be really, really worried uh, about the state of his elbow right now. I was joking about it during the game, but like. Carson Palmer had this career trajectory, right? First round pick, ends up moving teams, has a great year, gets hurt, and then it's like it just never comes back because at that age with a serious arm injury, like who knows what happens. So I don't know. I'm I'm hoping he comes back and he looks really good because like Palmer, I thought he was the best, you know, pocket passer in the league um, this past year. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I hope that Matthew Stafford arm recovers and he has a long and fruitful life, but I hope he can never throw a football properly ever again. Is that, <laughs> is that uh, appropriate? Sorry. I'm not rooting for the Rams. Spoken like it. a true Niners fan. Right. <laughs> Stats and KP. I need, I need your take on it. How do you guys feel about uh, the Seahawks being America's darling right now? Does it just eat you from the inside? That's not so much Seahawks. I think that's Gino. And honestly, Gino's a feel-good story, so I don't, I don't mind that. I, I think Gino kind of deserves that's his love. His but at the same time, oh no, he hates it. There's no doubt about it. I'm, that's why I went first too, by the way. Um, there's at the same time, the minute, like let's say next week, 49ers blow out the Seahawks, then what happens? Everybody's going to turn on the Seahawks. Everybody's going to turn on Gino. See, that's why he hasn't been starting all these years. So it's not going to last long at all. But it is cool to see him get his shine. Uh, early on here. Look, I don't blame the Seahawks for being happy that they got the win. They should. They got the upset. They beat their old nemesis, you know, the guy that used to be there and Russ Wilson. Everybody that was there for the Seahawks seemingly wanted to see Russ lose. Like, I get it, but I feel like us as media, like, we need to be smarter. Like, the Broncos fumbled on the goal line twice. Twice. They and sure not did. only did they fumble, they didn't get him back. Like, we're going to throw the Seahawks a bunch of flowers because that happened? Like, Geno Smith was six of 10 in the second half of that game for like 30 yards. Like, let's just calm down and look at objectively what happened. So hopefully Niners get to win this week and all that quiets down. 
But no, I don't ever like any Seahawks love for any reason whatsoever. Uh, two more things before we get out of here. One, Keenan Allen ruled out with a hamstring. JC Jackson is questionable. Two, it's 11.57 Pacific time right now, and the Bears still suck. That's right. <laughs> That's right, baby. Sunday night football. Let's go. Well, bold, there you have it. Bold to be talking, talking crap about the Bears. It's a great bounce-back game. I can't wait. <laughs> we'll see if Aaron Rodgers' ownership of the Chicago Bears continues this season. Uh, please rate, review, follow the SB Nation NFL show. We always love your ratings. If you take the time to leave one, I promise you, we will take the time to read it. Enjoy the game tomorrow night, everybody. KP, Justice, I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>